Welcome to the Shared Story Podcast. A space that explores the intersection between creativity and spirituality. Each episode, we will invite different artists, musicians, and other creatives who see the world through a unique lens to share their story, and in doing so, further expand our shared story together. We seek to enrich and broaden horizons through learning and listening to one another. So this week, uh, we have Dave Harder uh, from Ottawa with us, and I just wanna, I was going to give Dave a few moments to introduce himself. Hey guys, great to be with you. Thanks for having me join you. Um, yeah, from Ottawa, hanging out here. Beautiful, sunny, hot, humid day. Um, yeah, I love the idea of stories and storytelling. Um, host in Ottawa, what we call Story Night, and uh, getting uh, a number of local artists, centering artists, marginalized voices, uh, really wanting to share the stories that are going on in our neighborhood, uh, in our city. Um, and I'm a huge neighborhood guy. So story and neighborhood art kind of be the three things that I, I love. Um, I work with uh, Parish Collective Canada on their leadership team, uh, really trying to help individuals, business, nonprofits really pivot towards place and find um, just the redemptive edge uh, on what's happening within your neighborhood and how do you participate and join in with uh, which is the work of good that's happening in our communities. Um, but I'd love for you to kind of just share a little bit about like what some of the expressions of creativity look like in your community and how, how you work to facilitate and create space for, for art and creativity in, in your world, your space. Yeah, really, we stumbled on the idea a little bit. Um, I used to have been a pastor, was a pastor for uh, over 20 years and um, resigned from that in really wanting to discover kind of what's next for me. How do we join in this amazing movement called Love of neighbor that I think is such a radical idea uh, without the hierarchical institutional belief system structures that keep the ins and outs. And if you believe this belief system you're in, and if you don't, you're out. Or if you come into our church building, we'll welcome you. But then how do you meet others who don't participate in your church space? So there's just these rigid kind of barriers around what it meant to engage in a spiritual community. And so when I kind of walked away, this, this whole world opened up a possibility of imagination of what could it look like if we actually looked at our neighborhood as our spiritual community and looked at the people that I'm engaging with in my neighborhood as, as, as a church family, a spiritual community. And so just my, my ins and outs, my, uh, that dualism kind of shifted to this more holistic approach. And we, at the same time, I ended up going on tour to uh, 11 different cities, Ontario, um, and then we went to Montreal, and we called it the Story Night Tour. And so there was Sonia Gibbs, who you know and have collaborated with. There was Heather Beamish, who's one of my favorite spoken word poets. Drew Brown, who's just a fantastic singer-songwriter. So we brought in um, these amazing musicians and artists. We'd show up in a local community, and we'd hear their local stories. So we'd bring the art. They'd bring the stories there was just this amazing kind of um, uh, understanding and growing around what could it be if we actually did this in my, in my neighborhood on the ongoing. So this was like a one-off, let's go in and do some fun in a neighborhood. And then, we, you know, we do it in Windsor and then we go to London and then we go to Hamilton and we just met such amazing people. But in doing Ottawa, 
um, packed out one of my favorite coffee shops, just such a night, electricity and beauty and hope and the stories of, of, of good. Uh, and then so many came up to me at that night and said, Hey, is there anything else? Um, when are you doing this again? When's the next one? Uh, and we hadn't even considered that question. So that kind of, we left that night going, maybe we should do this on the ongoing in Ottawa. So that kind of started us doing story notes uh, in Ottawa. We do it monthly in my neighborhood. And uh, yeah, we get local artists, most um, really trying to highlight, highlight people of color. Um, we Equity really matters. We want to pay well. So we don't get paid, but we pay the artists. Um, so all the grant money we get goes to local artists. And, uh, and then we want to hear stories from our neighborhood. Um, stories of lament, of pain, of loss, of hope, of joy, of imagination. And I find when story and art collide, it creates this beautiful community opportunity. Hmm. That's awesome, man. I love that story and art colliding. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. Um, I'm curious, like, how has um, this pandemic... Well, I mean, we can, we can tackle on... I was thinking we could tackle... Um, some of the civil rights things going on. But first, before that, how has the pandemic, how has that affected um, what you guys are doing with that? Yeah, I think it definitely messed us up at the start. We're like, oh my gosh, you have this momentum, you have dates booked, you have artists booked. And the coffee shop that we are at, which I'm going to give a huge plug for, uh, Arlington 5, um, it is a uh, business done different and really, really trying to be a, a safe space. Um, an Inclusive space, a space where anyone can walk in and feel that they're part of the table, that they're welcome, that they're included. And so that's where we host story nights. And we just were talking with them and they said, you know what, why don't you just use our Instagram page and let's just continue. The artists are booked. Um, let's, let's do Insta Live. Um, so that's what we did. And it was great because you, you have people who couldn't come to a night chiming in. You have people, you know, we had... We had Sonia, we had uh, Drew Brown, we had artists from other cities who can now participate because it's, it's online. So, so it did allow us to do a little bit of uh, more creative things, have artists that are friends of ours that we would uh, get to invite in and highlight. Um, but something that I think has been really important is lots of people have been, have been kind of sitting back and waiting for this new normal, or they've been doing business as always. And I think what we did is we paused long enough to go, what could different look like? And we sat down with Jesse, who's the owner of Arlington Five, who really said the way we were doing business before didn't work anyways. And COVID has given us this moment to reconsider the systems, the models. When money becomes the bottom line, it drives a business in a way that I don't think is healthy and good. Um, capitalism is not the best way, I think, to do, you know, business um uh, where money becomes the the bottom line and, and what if relational equity was the bottom line what if community was the bottom line so what would shift if, if we actually placed value on these things that we say we love but at the end of the day all we want is dollars so it's allowed some really important conversations to emerge so even their business has shifted significantly to where it's become kind of a um a kitchen that now is um uh, giving, uh, making really good food to those in the margins. Um, and, and so they want equitable food for everyone. 
So it's a, it's a really cool uh, model that's emerging within, within what they're doing. So, so yeah, we're kind of part of that story. That's really cool. I, I feel like, you know, I think businesses right now are, are slowly coming back, but I think that, you know, a lot of it, there's sort of been just this rush to like reopen and make a bunch of money and, and, um, you know, even like I'm a I'm a uh, freelance musician and producer myself, and so I I felt all of that. But there's a moment of realization when you're like, you know, like we're all suffering in some way because of this pandemic, and like rather than worrying about our own individual plight, why not why not worry about the collective plight and how like you know the least of these is doing. Um, so I, I think yeah, that's that's awesome that that you're, you know, partnered with a business that has some of that same vision. Um, cause mm-hmm. it's, it's not really common to, to see that. No, it's so true. Everyone's just, just trying to get back to what they were, were always doing. And like, what you always do, what, what we were always doing wasn't the best. Um, getting back to normal, I don't think is the best idea. I think this moment is causing us to rethink, um, and, uh, reconsider the systemic ways, the ways that business was harming and hurting. Um, when money and power is the is is the driving narrative, and I think there's another narrative. No, definitely. Um, and so obviously, like you know, like we're in Canada, um, but we're we're always kind of omni aware of what's happening down in the states, and especially around like the issues of civil rights. Um, so like and then like on one side, and then other people using the language of civil liberties on the other side, almost. Um, and and you have this this notion of like my individual rights and all these different things that are coming up and and it's it's interesting to hear um like your take on how businesses like like our businesses are reimagining um but then you have this like this narrative like you know you know I mean prior to what happened with George Floyd and 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 the protests that came out of that well the protests that were happening were literally people holding up signs saying I want a haircut you know we want to go back to normal we want to go back to the way that it was and it was interesting that the people holding those signs were the ones that benefited from normal, or at least they they, they thought they benefited 100%. from normal. Yes, and yes. those that are beginning yes. to reimagine what the like what the world could be like going forward, um, some of them are people that have benefited in the past from what quote unquote normal looked like, but at the same time, um, they're looking at their brothers and sisters, their neighbors, their friends, their family around them, and saying normal didn't work for them. So I want to I want to advocate for a new normal, and so I I love I just love like what you're sharing about that business, the Arlington Arlington Five. You said right. Arlington Five. Yeah. yeah. And how, and I wonder, yeah. like, like, I just wonder, like, what would be some ways that, like, going forward in the future that we could actually begin to kind of, kind of create, uh, like, 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 almost like a collaborative kind of project going forward to say, here's some new ways that we can reimagine business together. And then also, but do it as a network thing, because I think it's like one of those things that if we're going to reimagine the way our economics are going to work for us, then we also need to reimagine the way that we like, that we in a sense market like all the things that kind of accompany this kind of capitalistic way of thinking um, need to be reimagined as well into kind of community community shaped community formed um, marketing campaigns in a sense and so I, I, was, I guess I'm just kind of curious that like as you're imagining like those ways forward especially sitting down with people and imagining what are some of those things that you guys are thinking of about expanding beyond like your neighborhood but into ways that could actually be effective and collaborate and, and collaborative with other people like throughout canada throughout america throughout the world if, if we're dreaming really big yeah I, th- I think it always starts local i think um i think one of the questions and you you said it well is just because um something's helping someone doesn't mean it's helping everyone 
And so in any system, you have to ask, who's the system good for? Who's it working for? And right now, the system is definitely working for the privileged. It's working for those who, who carry, you know, kind of whiteness. And this, this narrative is working for someone. Um, but it's also having, you know, literally the knee on the neck of others. And I think we need to own that. We need to name that. And I think it starts by going, okay, is the way in which I'm doing business promoting one narrative or the other narrative? Is the way I'm doing business good news for everybody? Or is it only good news for those who can afford a really expensive coffee in a bougie neighborhood? Um, like, who, who's, who's the business benefit? And how am I helping those on the margins, on the edges? Um, how am I serving? How are they becoming human? How do I see them as human? And I think one of the one of the um, things that Willie Jennings, who's an amazing uh, professor thinker out of Duke University, he said, our problem right now is not capitalism or socialism or whatever it is that we want to put on it. Our problem is anthropological. We don't value human life. And that just hit me. And I'm going, we don't value human. And until we can see humanity as beloved, as beautiful, as sacred. And I think that's where, you know, if there's one area I still do kind of follow the Jesus narrative, is it, it, it is around his, you know, kind of invitation to love your neighbor. Because in that invitation, I have to work through so much um, of my own uh, privilege. I have to work through much of my biases, my assumptions, um, to get to this place of understanding what love looks like. Getting to your question, long way there. Um, <laughs> oh, it's all good. Uh, I think it starts in our neighborhood. And if it doesn't start local, we can't ask the question, now what does this mean across Canada? What does this mean? I really think it, it really is this micro local because my neighborhood is going to be different than yours. It's going to have diff different issues, different systemic challenges, um, different races engaged, different the, the, the way in which the neighborhood structured, the, the barriers, the cracks and crevices in my neighborhood are going to be different than yours. Um, where we can unite is on this piece of, of we're all called to be human together. And I think we can learn. I think the best way to learn is through storytelling. Back to what we started this time with. I think if we can create space to share stories with one another, if here's what I'm doing and here's what I'm learning. Oh, you're learning this and you did this. That's where imagination, I think stories birth imagination. And we just have really bad stories right now. Um, they're not imaginative. They're not good. Um, and I think we need people who are entrepreneurial, who are innovative, who are doing new things, new work. They're head to the ground. I think we've got to find platforms we can storytell and uh, obviously this podcast is one of those ways that's happening um story night is another way that that's happening. um i'm curious like was there was there a particular um person or movement that sort of inspired you to um begin these story nights like was there sort of a blueprint from something else existing or was it something that you um along with others kind of came up with together I love this question because I get to brag on one of my favorite people in the world is uh, Rendell Ajay. He is in Toronto, uh, Scarborough specifically, and uh, he does an arts community called Rise Edit. If you uh, out there do not know Rise Edit, go follow them on Instagram, get on their socials. He, what he has done is brilliant. And again, how he started is um, really coming out of a pretty rough background, rough narrative himself. 
um, wanting to provide a space for younger people to feel that they could come in and share their art in a safe space. And so he started these art nights in his um, neighborhood called Razette. So many people began to come in and inhabit that space. Um, so he really runs it as um, a kind of open mic, but it's got this really amazing community vibe to it where it's hosted so well. You've got um, different things going on, different projects that they're doing together. And so honestly, it felt like, ch like the church I've always wanted to plant. <laughs> it, it, and in no way is it even remotely called the church. And so we've developed a really good friendship and I've had um, some great, you know, conversations with him. And it really is, you know, a spiritual community with, without the baggage of, uh, of institutionalism, really centered around artists um, and POC voices. And when I saw it and went, I'm like, this is what I want to do. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, I guess I, I kind of have like a two-part question for you in that, like myself as, as a pastor, um, coming out of that space as well. Um, I, I know we did a community as a couple of years ago called the kitchen table. And for me and the people that were part of that community, like that's like, oh man, like this feels like, like church. But yeah, reality yes. is, is that the people that were kind of the quote unquote patrons of church planting, um, that's not church to them. That's like, you, you know what I mean? Like, well, where's the, where's yep. the preaching? Where's the worship band? Where's the whatever, you yep. know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it, it became really hard to fund and finance, um, these kind of endeavors. And so I know, I, like, I, I, I would be shocked to hear if, you know, from the different people that are kind of, you know, listening in, if me and you are the only people that are thinking about creative nights and, and how do we do things differently. And so what are some of the ways that you have found going forward to like, like just as, as a way that's an exhortation for people to be able to say like, it's, it's not something that it, it's that difficult to get off the ground necessarily, or that hard to finance, to get off the that's ground. It. What are some ways that you have found yeah. in order to actually resource and finance these kind of communities in order to see them flourish. Like in the same way that like in the evangelical world, you have that church planning networks. What are maybe some creative community networks ideas? Yeah, I think what's, what, what I've had to wrestle through is who do I want my audience to be? And if I want my audience to be those who, you know, are in the church and kind of used to the structures and, and a certain liturgy, um, I just didn't want those people. To me, they're not really that nice or friendly. Yeah. Um, and they're not the ones I really wanted to hang out with. So what happened with this whole neighborhood thing, which is really crazy, is, I, is I, as I began to love my neighbor and not just love, but actually get to know and befriend my neighbor, most of my neighbors would not have been welcome in my church. And I was doing a progressive, pretty, you know, creative church. But those who are queer, those who are on the edges and marginalized, who were really becoming friends of mine, wouldn't have been welcome. And I realized also that a lot of people in my neighborhood who even were spiritual had left the church 20 plus years ago with no intent to go back. So I'm like, they're not coming. Like who, who I'm going to attract are those who all, are already in this narrative. I'm going, I don't want those people. I want to blow that open. And I want everyone in my community to feel that they're, you know, when you throw a block party and there's everyone for your block party feels that they didn't come. I wanted that sense of vibe in what I did as a faith community. I wanted everyone to feel that they could come and participate as they fully were with their full queer selves, with their full transgender selves, with their full black um, um, disabled bodies. Like I wanted everyone to come and feel that they could be fully them. 
And so the audience then in that shifts because that's now the audience. So how do you now fund it? Because the tithe of 10% is not really known within community organizing. So, um, so what does that look like? And what's really cool is there are a lot of amazing grants, both local and federal for arts. And as we centered and centered ourselves on becoming an arts community, um, we've got a number of grants for that. There also is some really cool businesses. And, you know, um, businesses are great because sometimes they may not give you cash, but they'll give you food. And I think this gift economy is another way that we can really begin to dive into of someone saying, yeah, I'm into what you're doing. I'm going to give you money, but I'll gift you my video time. I'll gift you my sound system to use whenever you want to do it. I'll gift you my space called my coffee shop and I'll let you, you know, people can come and, and, and buy coffee and, you know, during the night and that's what I'll take, but I'll gift you the space. And so the gift economy says, what, what asset do I bring and what asset do you bring? And when you look at a room in a neighborhood, look at all the assets that are there. And when those begin to be shared amongst us collectively, I think it allows for a different, different economy to emerge. Um, so now my needs are not just financial, but it's how do we be, how do we become a true community together and make whatever our needs are happen by the community itself. And I think Randell is doing that really well. I think that's cool too, because it ties in with um, getting to know your neighbors too. You know, you, you can't, um, you can't receive help from someone that you don't know. I mean, sometimes that's people it. are randomly charitable, but I think it ties in with like right. building a community and how can we provide for each other? And you you can't really form that unless you're getting to know people and, and building. That's so, so true. It's, it, all, it all kind of um, ties in and, and, you know, recirculates back to itself. That's it, that's it. And, and I don't know the numbers, Carl, you, you may know this better. A white dollar doesn't stay in the neighborhood for more than a second. Like it's completely gone. In these in these black communities, a dollar circulates. I don't know how long it stays in a neighborhood, but it's a long time. And I think there's lots that we can learn as we come out of whiteness and what neighborhood is when neighborhood supports one another. And if we can invest our dollars locally, invest our dollars into those who are doing the work, the work of anti-racism, the work of justice, the work of equity, I think our dollars are going to stay longer in our communities. And when dollars stay longer in our communities, it helps the community. Um, so yeah, in this moment, yes, of course it's easy to buy everything on Amazon. Why do we need to buy things? You know, again, I, those are those are tensions. It's easy. It shows up at my door. Um, but that's a privilege I think we need to check and uh, to to find ways to to see our uh, our local dollar stay in the neighborhood. Mm. That's good. That's really good. So I'm just I'm thinking about the stat that you just shared um, about the money staying in the neighborhood, and um, I'm, I, I, like the only place I know the stats from is uh, Killer Mike's Trigger Warning, the television show that he yes, did. yes, and he, and he yes. talked about like the black dollar stays in the neighborhood for about six hours, where white do- white dollars tend to stay in the neighborhood for like six to seven days before they 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 leave, and so white economies are flourishing off of the money that comes into their community where black dollars are being pillaged out of the community right away because they, 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 they're, not, they're not owning the businesses in their community, things like that. And I, and right. I, and okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And so it, it was, it's just interesting when you, when you were, when you were talking about that, I was just trying to remember where I heard those stats from, but, but I love like, I like, 
like Vancouver, at least I can't speak for for Ottawa, but in Vancouver, like we don't we don't have a black neighborhood anymore. Like that was no, that, we, that was we stolen that was stolen away from us in in the late '60s, early '70s when they demolished um, Black Strathcona. So we don't have that neighborhood, but we have but but we do have black community in Vancouver. And it's been interesting because they're like, we've been asking those questions around equity and things like that. Like, how do you support black businesses? And just the realization that um, there's a lot more, like for me at least, I was shocked to actually see how many black businesses are being run in Vancouver. Like I, I like before I could have named, uh, there's, there's one over there, one over there. Uh, there's a black guy who's invested in that business over there, that kind of stuff, where all of a sudden, like somebody asked that question and there's hundreds of businesses that are being owned and operated by by, by uh, black people, and and I, and I think like that that question also translates then into the creative community. Like, what kind of businesses, what kind of things are happening around us that are actually that would actually begin to keep the money within the creative community, so that like we're 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 able to to reinvest it into things that help the creative community well, flourish as well. Not like not just not just black people, not just white people, not just whatever. Because I think like we like for me at least, my hope is that we honor difference. But we also figure out what humanity looks like um, as well in the mix of that and 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 where where we create equity across the board and, and and realizing that in this moment yes equity looks like we actually have to probably invest heavier in other spaces in order to create equity we have to remove certain barriers that have been that, that have been resurrected in, in certain places um but at the, at the end of the day like i don't know my, my hope at least in it is that like I, w- I would hope that the creative community wins out and that's that and and and, and that's something for me at least is, is 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 hopeful and i can see and i can see a day happening because most of the creatives that i deal with and i talk with um they're dreaming in those same kind of spaces they're asking those same kinds of questions that you're asking um but i think most of us kind of at least i know i i and this is my lens and I, and I would say a lot of people have this lens as well is that we don't know how to actually reinvest into the creative community in, in, in actual tangible ways to see it flourish as a community, not as individuals. It's really easy to support one creative, but how do you support the whole network, the whole, the whole community going forward? It's huge. And those, are, and those are questions that I have is how do we, um, and I'm, I'm just reading where I found it. There's a, a group out of Albuquerque called Crux, C-R-U-X, and it's an artist collective. And they said that's, um, uh, six hours is how long a dollar circulates in a black community and it's crazy man like that's so that's where i had seen that but yeah there's something about yeah how can we how can we change that narrative and allow our dollars to to sit more locally in our communities and, and transact between the ecosystem that we that we call our neighborhood um but what you're saying I'd, uh, i don't know what platforms we need to see artists be able to share their art like what platform can collect you know the art from these artists where it's not just them trying to have to create their own platform and their own means and their own way and individually share their um how, how could it be a, be a cooperative of sorts where all these artists are are have a place where they can put their art um where they receive you know the dollars um, for that art and um so yeah i think we need some imagination around that and what what could a cooperative look like i've i was i was watching um this uh netflix show yesterday hip-hop evolution i don't know if either yeah it's so good it's it's really i think i think a lot of things can be learned from um the history of hip-hop and applied you know to to 
culture as a whole, you know, like the the support levels and and just seeing, you know, like the, I was watching the episode. Um, it was about New York and, you know, Queen Latifah and uh, Moni Love um, had that song um, Ladies First and just people coming together um, and supporting each other. And, and you know, Q-Tip was on there and he's like, yeah, like Nas Illmatic is like a masterpiece record and just seeing people um praise each other so much i think that that culture of like bringing everyone in um rather than thinking about okay this this person has a record deal or this person has this opportunity i don't have this opportunity so screw screw them like i need to just do do what i'm doing but like rather than thinking that like think of it as like a collective um we're all together and like if one person kicks down the door we're all gonna go through we're all in that's it yeah and i I love that i had a friend say the exact same thing he said when when whiteness gets a break because kicks it's it's alone it's i i got it shoo away everyone um where what i find in 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 black communities if someone makes it in the neighborhood he brings his whole posse with him like he brings everybody it's like if i made it we all made it and 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 you're working together and I just, I love that picture of community. Um, we're in this together. And so it's, it does feel like that's what we need to do um, is break down this, these walls of hyper-individualism that says, no, I got the break. It's mine. Um, no, let's all figure out how we, how, how we can do this together. Well, one, one thing like, uh, you know, like as, as we talked about this pandemic season, it's, it's kind of been, at least for me, I've consumed a lot more media than I ever wanted to in, in this past season. Um, and so maybe, maybe like over these past few months, man, like what have been some things that you have been watching, listening to, um, that have been like inspiring you in, in this last season, man? You know what, Colin, it's, it's, it's a bit shocking for me cause I'm a, I'm a consumer of content. I'm a avid book reader and I've just shut that down. Um, so here's what I have been doing is I'm a lover of jazz. And the complexity of jazz is, is, is massive. And I feel like I just was dabbling in it. So every night, instead of watching Netflix or watching, you know, kind of the latest show, I go sit on my front porch. And right now I'm going through uh, the top 25 um, bass players and listening to, to them. Um, listen to Charles Mingus last night. And so just, just sitting in this rootsy, um, I did just so much life lessons that jazz can teach us. And so I've just been sitting in that and kind of shutting off the, the consuming. I, I need to listen in, take more. Um, and I, and it's been just beautiful. So I honestly am looking forward to it every night. I get a glass of wine or, you know, a beer and just sit on my front porch and just uh, take in um, jazz music. That's beautiful, man. I, um, I went to school for, for jazz. Um, so I've no. kind of grown up oh, with that. Um, Thelonious Monk and Duke Thelonious, Ellington man. were the two yes. guys, like the first people I kind of listened to as a kid. Um, my mom got some CDs. Um, yeah. And I've, you know, I, I recently, uh, actually on the same hip hop documentary, somebody was talking about jazz and how it's the ultimate, um, freedom you know like for black creatives that back in the day like were getting beat up and and unable to express their their truth but through this music they could just completely go wild and express um 
any sort of pain or hope or love like the the freedom was there in the music and you can hear that you know like pushing boundaries and so i think it's just beautiful like really to sit with it and and i think it's funny with jazz because a lot of people just kind of put it on as background music but um if you really like sit with it and like meditate on it you know like something like a love supreme for example um you can literally feel like the prayers um coming through the horn and through the notes and the bass and piano and everything um so yeah that's 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 a really cool you're speaking my language man (laughs) i've been sitting in the laments and the pain and the beauty and the freedom um and in the influence of 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 jazz music to hip-hop is just incredible so to see yeah it's neat that's awesome yeah, man. Um, and I, I don't know if you if you realize or not. Like Johnny is the guy that produced the song. Dude, that that song, I'm telling you, it's 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 my new fave. I listen to that oh. almost daily, and the piano riffs in that man, it was smooth. Thank you. It was beautiful. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, get that song out. Well, and then and then have Carlin sing his voice. They just meld so beautiful together. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's smooth man it's cool it feels really like um like an amalgamation of so many things and and just um people coming together from different communities and different walks of life you know it's sort of like a perfect you know like a black guy korean woman white guy just all coming together to make this protest music you know uh so good yeah yeah well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's that's awesome. It's coming yeah, out. Yeah, I can't soon, wait. So. I can't wait for that to drop at the end of the month. Definitely. Yeah, I, I was on a call earlier with Dave, and he's like pulling his phone out so he could play it. Oh, that's <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Dude, I do that with everybody. Everyone I'm with, like you guys are here. This, this is amazing. Oh, I do it everywhere I go. That's, that's awesome. Sweet. That's awesome, man. Man, when when we when traveling's okay again, we'll have to come out there and and uh, do some music. Yeah, I want you guys to come out here. Um, Sunia, myself, uh, Tricks, you're gonna get on a call coming up early August. We want to plan something out there with you guys. We want to do, you know, just to kind of give an idea of what that call is going to be. We want to do a story night out there. We want to do kind of get creatives together and artists together. Let's, let's, let's do something magical. So. Um, I'm curious, like kind of like stepping, um, sort of backtracking a little bit. Um, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to ask like your whole life story, but I'm kind of curious, like, um, the former pastor thing, like, uh, what, what was sort of the catalyst for, um, stepping away from that and into this and, um, sort of like, what was, what was like the sort of reaction from, um, members of the congregation and, and your peers, um, in ministry from all that? Yeah, I kind of feel like the conversations that we are, um, I'm going to say forced to have, I hope people are having because of the Black Lives Matter, George Floyd reality. Um, I was having in my community five years ago and it didn't go well. Um, As I began to love my neighbor who is queer, I began to push on why they weren't allowed in my church. Um, I began to push on why we were so white. I began to push on why are we not doing the work of anti-racism and the work of justice in our community. So I feel like I was trying to engage, and there's a few of us, it wasn't just me, um, in a conversation and a narrative within our church to shift a different direction. And sadly, I was a heretic. Um, I was um, 
and very quickly realized that the space was about power, privilege, and whiteness, and that I didn't fit in that narrative anymore. So yeah, I'm a white male, cisgender, but that's not the narrative I fit in. And so whiteness is not, you know, the tone of your skin color. It's a, it's a system and, um, on how certain people benefit in that system. And, and, and I had benefited for a long time in it. And when I started to realize all the ways in which I was benefiting from it and how it was marginalizing, hurting others, leaving, that was painful. But then also saying, I can't be authentic if I'm not naming it. And so, so that was, that was my, my ticket out. And it was painful and hard. And people that you are friends with are now not friends with you because you don't believe the way in which they do. Um, and you know, those are hard lessons to learn. But the freedom on the other side of it has been so worth it. It is so beautiful to see the love and care that we're providing in our community, to see new innovative ideas emerge out of the pain, to see what a faith community could really look like that truly is built around loving their neighbor. Mm, that's it's incredible. That's good. Uh, yeah, like I know, you know me, me. You know we've talked before about this, and it's 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 hard for people to imagine a way forward or something after the church. If you're if you're dead, like you're right in the middle of it, and so like one, I, I just appre I appreciate your courage in being able to to pioneer that space, even to say there is life after the church that isn't just anti 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 church in a sense. You know, you know what I mean? Because I, I, no. I, I unfortunately yes. I have. I have friends who who have walked away from their church communities or from their faith, um, but it turns into an antith um, like like ant antithesis kind of notion, um, antithetical type notion versus saying no, there's something that's post this, and it can still be just as honoring to to honoring to to follow Jesus in the midst of it, even if it looks, it, but it's probably more honoring actually, because we're actually deconstructing and stripping away the things that have actually been barriers to to good news um, versus the things that you know, that, that, that we hold on to because we just feel comfortable with them. Right. And so, um, when I just want to, I just thank you for your courageousness and that, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. In the moment you can see it is hard to see. Um, and just so you guys know, we've got a new project that uh, we're going to be launching in September called art church. Um, and so church is coming back in a creative new way. And the people that we have involved at kind of the center of the, of, of, of the leadership team of that are a bunch of local Ottawa artists and here's what's not replaced church um, or the thing that, that church has done that hasn't been replaced culturally is this thing about community. If I go to yoga, I go as an individual. If I go to the gym, I go as an individual. If I go to a coffee shop, I go as an individual. And there's not space for us to be known as a collective. And I think people long for that. And as I talk to my neighbors, they long for that. So they all say, I don't want to go to church you know, because of the, you know, the ways in which it was restrictive. But man, I long for that kind of community again. Yeah. Mm. And I hear that all the time. Absolutely. And so we're going to take the best of what community was um, and the ways in which it, it provided that, but then add this art, justice, equity, anti-racism lens. Nope. Nope, they don't. And I think, again, when, when power begins to drive the narrative, it can't. You can't be honest. 
you, you can't welcome, you got to welcome people with money. You got to like, what, what's, who's it benefiting and why? And that's where I see such a radical vision of the Jesus narrative where he centered those in the margins. Because when you center the margins, everyone benefits. Absolutely. That's good. And we benefit in a way that we don't often understand. That's good. I think another thing too, just to kind of add to that is um, when the church becomes a business, then the bottom dollar is just all that matters, you know, versus like creating a community thing, even with, um, you know, the story nights that you're talking about. Um, I think if churches took that approach rather than thinking, you know, um, we got to get people in the door, we got to get people tithing. That is how we're surviving. Rather than thinking, you know, the um, humanity, having having like the social currency and social equity, that is yes. the real um, financial benefit, not actual dollars, but just human lives and love, you know? That's it. That is so it. Yeah, the, the social equity for sure. That's it. No, you summed it up well right there. That's awesome. It's beautiful. Man. Well, we'll call it, uh, we're kind of getting to that time where we got to wrap up. And man, it's been a, it's been this has been a great conversation. Um, I've really enjoyed just the the depth and the wisdom that you're bringing to this conversation. And I, I look forward to being able to to listen back actually to this, take some more notes on this, and say what are some ways forward yeah. for the like like you know not just for the church but for for the community as a whole. How do we actually yes. help invest into our neighborhoods, into our local spaces? Um, from a creative lens, how do we how do we yes, do that as entrepreneurs? Yes. How do we do that as artists? Yeah. And and you know how do we do that as just yeah. people as patrons, people who just love yeah. love creativity, who yeah. love the art, and so in the uh, feel that we're not alone in that. There's exactly. others. We need to link together and, and support one another. Yeah, man. So I, I just appreciate you dropping some gems on us and some wisdom on us today, and oh, really appreciate gosh, I that. Love, love you guys. Love uh, love what you're doing. And, any chance we can share a story, hopefully it can spur on some imagination. Well, man, um, I just want to open it up. Any, any, any kind of closing thoughts before we wrap up? Any, anything that kind of stood out to you or any, anything that you want to share before we wrap up? I think we've covered uh, a breadth of information. I, I think for me, um, I'm learning. I'm curious. And I think as long as we can stay curious, we're going to end up in a hopefully a good place. Um, not coming in with answers, but coming in with questions. So, Love, uh, love the posture that you guys are uh, doing this podcast in. And um, I just want to keep learning, learning from you, learning from my neighborhood um, and those around me. Awesome. Um, and um, lastly, like if people want, if uh, listeners want to reach out or follow you or whatever, any kind of thing like that, what's the best way to do that or to check out things that you're doing? Yeah, I think, um, I think the easiest is to, I'm on Instagram the most, um, Dave Harder can follow me on at D harder, uh, on Instagram. Um, I am on other socials, but Instagram's, uh, the easiest. And, uh, we do have, um, a store net website that's being built, rebuilt. It's there, but we, we're rebuilding it. So, um, all those things will be up soon. We just want to thank you for joining us for the shared story podcast. As always, the story is always expansive, always expanding to include more. So definitely connect with us. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your story. You can connect with us at www.fos.church forward slash shared dash story. That is 
fos.church forward slash shared dash story. Peace.